Welcome to Corporate Thought, the podcast where we talk about everything from food to family to music to the life of entrepreneurship and anything and everything else that makes life worth living. Welcome to the show. The fantastic Maya Holohan joins me on the Corporate Thought podcast today to discuss her transition from bricks and mortar to an online business. Maya was extremely successful in the massive but picky wedding business until it all fell apart. Maya is honest and raw about her experiences, and she has persevered and come back stronger and more determined than ever. Please enjoy this deep dive with Maya Holohan. Hi, Maya. Hi, how are you? (laughs) I'm good. I'm here today with Maya Holohan, who has been good enough to join me via Zoom. I'm not used to these uh, podcasts being recorded from a distance. I'm more more traditionally, I've always met with people and and had face to face conversations. So doing this uh, via electronic means is sort of new and different for me. I think it's something we all have to get used to. I'm fortunate enough that I've actually worked from home now for, you know, I I owned a business where I was on my feet in front of people for many, many, many years. And just over the last 18 months, I would say I became uh, a remote worker and somebody working from home. And now I'm developing my own businesses. So I haven't had to adapt as much as other people have. I've sort of done everything from a distance. So I, I do feel like I have a little bit of an advantage, but I can't imagine what it's like for for people that are used to having that face-to-face contact that you know draw energy from the people that are around them and now all of a sudden they're in isolation yeah i mean i think that i have always like i've worked remotely for many years but my business has always required a lot of travel mm-hmm. and a lot of face-to-face meetings and so even when i started podcasting i was doing those face-to-face so um <clears throat> So although I'm I'm used to certain aspects of sitting in an office by myself all day, um, I'm also used to when I'm being on the road a lot and all of a sudden there is no on the road anymore. Right. There's not even any, can I get up and go to the water cooler and like talk to my buddy? <laughs> there's, there's none of that, it, which is, I mean, little tiny things is, I mean, going and grabbing a cup of coffee with somebody is, I mean, unless you go to the drive through and then you sit in your car and they sit in their car, <laughs> you just roll down the window. It is totally changed the way that we operate on a daily basis. Yeah. So uh, I think you're right. So what do you think, um, you know, leaving aside the coronavirus itself, uh, I'm going to make I'm going to I'm going to make an assumption that eventually we come out of this. Um, <laughs> but what do you think um, the impact of all of this remote working is going to be on society long term? Do you think we're going to become a world of remote workers? I think I think it is going to uh, change the way we do business. I think companies that were hesitant of having, you know, companies without walls <laughs> will now be a little bit more open to it because it's been forced upon them, which to me, I hope, you know, inspires more job creation, that you won't actually have to live in the city of the company you want to work for, right? So, so change is being forced on all of us. And I think for companies that are used to doing things traditionally, 
they now are bearing kind of the brunt because they've been a little bit slower to that change. So I hope that it opens our minds a bit more. Uh, you know, and I think it's going to cause us to be more efficient with, with our time and how we manage people. And, you know, all of these having to have meetings all the time. Well, now that you do it remotely, I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't want to have all those meetings, right? Their time is precious and they really have to carve out their days because some people are having to run a business or be part of a business and at the same time be a now homeschool teacher. <laughs> right? Oh, right. And so it's like you really have to be very conscious of where your minutes go. So I do think it's going to make us better, better operators at, at business and at home uh, in the long haul. And, uh, you know, I think in, in times of strife, it's it's where most innovation and creativity happens. So I'm excited to see the people that, you know, the cream is going to rise to the top and to see what these people create that we can all benefit from, whether it's six months from now or 18, however long it's going to be. I do believe that there's beauty beyond, um, you know, the pain we're going through right now. Yeah, I, I'm glad to hear that because I, I, I certainly, I, I'm staying not just optimistic, I'm using this what for me is a quieter period to uh in fact sort of you know go through things that were backburnered because i never seemed to have time for it like all of a sudden there's this extra time in my life so yes. i'm trying to use it <laughs> yes absolutely like i have scrubbed my house <laughs> i've even kept the vacuum out because now every morning i can like vacuum i didn't realize how ocd i was but actually i think i have a little bit of <laughs> It's because I have the time. I'm going through stacks of paper that just, you know, pile up. I, I believe it's time for, you know, a really beautiful cleanse that we can all kind of go through. And, and you know, I'm a natural optimist. And I feel like people that are naturally optimistic, like this is our moment to shine and really help those people that are, are not they don't think that way typically, you know, or they're seeing more of the burden that this is causing or the hardship that this is causing. So for me, my whole take is how can I be a resource for people right now? What, what, what can I lend to somebody else, even if it's just a helping hand or, you know, just an ear to listen to what people are going through. That's the position that I'm taking because I want to be able to lift people up in this moment. And, um, you know, those of us that that comes naturally to, it really is our time to do that for everybody. No, that's good. So you're not, you're not the person who's curled up in the fetal position, um, zoned out on, uh, on, on Netflix all day long. No, I mean, there's moments where I'm tempted to do that. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> sure. sure like when the weekend comes, I will do that, but I am trying to maintain some semblance of schedule that I knew before this happened, because the reality is we are going to go back to life as we know it again at some point we don't know when that's going to be but the the more we can stay true to the schedule that we knew prior to this pandemic i think the better we're going to be um but you know i do i do agree with you though that there there's time in the day to get to things that we've put off like i i want to read more books i i have so many books that i've either started and haven't finished or that i bought and never started <laughs> So for me, that's one of my goals is, is okay, in, no matter how long this crisis lasts, what's one thing you want to get out of this? And for me, it is reading more. So what are the, so what are the books on the list? 
So I'm just started reading Becoming by Michelle Obama, right. uh, and which is fabulous. Uh, I was in the beginning, so I do a little bit of everything, business books and life books. I am currently reading Scaling Up by Vern Harnish, uh, which is a fantastic business book, especially for people that are starting new businesses like myself. Uh, and it's, it's a bit of a workbook, so it takes a little bit more time. I've got Rise and Grind by Damon John. Okay. Uh, which uh, I would hopefully get to in all of this. Um, and honestly, the Bible. <laughs> I've never read the Bible. I have a beautiful Bible that my husband bought me for Christmas two years ago. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some time each day and read the Bible. That's wonderful. That's good. I'll, I'll be curious to see how each of those books <laughs> wind up being applicable in you know, aspects of your life. Yeah. Uh, as you go forward. So you just mentioned, you're, you know, you're starting a new business and you also mentioned a little bit ago that you, you know, previously or at one point were more, you know, bricks and mortar customer facing. So, so much to unpack on all of that, but maybe start with um, how you see the differences from, from the retail or bricks and mortar type operation to, to, uh, you know, a, a, it doesn't have to be home-based, but, you know, essentially, uh, you know, working in a place where you're not, where you're not interfacing with customers face-to-face uh, -face every day. Sure. Uh, before I get to that, um, uh, you know, the, the business that I owned for 13 years was bricks and mortar. And, and for two of those years, I had multiple locations. I had about six locations, two, two in each major Hampton Road city. Uh, so, I mean, the glaring difference, I think, between home-based and having bricks and mortar, and particularly my situation, was it's very labor-intensive. It's extremely um, uh, time consuming, you spend a lot of time away from your family and your friends, and there's enormous overhead. Uh, and, um, you know, I actually lost my business in 2017. I spent two years running a company in crisis mode because I went through a major expansion in a very short period of time and was, was unable to manage that expansion. And so one of the things that I have, have created, again, as a gift, as a give to what everyone is going through right now, is a Facebook group um, called Leading Through Crisis. And tomorrow I'm hosting a webinar, which, and I'll host, I'll host more webinars about you know, crisis management and how to be a crisis leader. Uh, so I feel like there's always lessons to be learned in every situation <laughs> that you're right. in. And certainly for me, um, having had a very successful business for 11 years, and then the last two years of being in business, really in survival mode that entire time, I learned so much about business in those two years. I tell people all the time, I learned more about business in the last two years of owning a company than I did in the first 11. Like I have a real life MBA. I tell people, you couldn't even learn in school. I had to learn in two years. And so I'm hoping to impart some of that knowledge and hope and experience on, on the people that have been forced into a crisis. Nobody asked for this. This is not self-induced, right? Mine was self-induced. I made choices that I shouldn't have made. And then I had to pay the price for that. But now everybody, anyone that has an organization of any kind is now in crisis mode. So oh, that's very true. And I appreciate your, you know, your candor and your honesty in that, because I feel that's one of the reasons why I started the Corporate Thought uh, podcast was because 
too much of what else is out there. And it, I like a lot of different podcasts and there are plenty out there, but most of them or many of them really concentrate on the success right. and, and success is wonderful. I mean, I, you know, I want everyone to be successful, but the reality is that, that, um, you know, most of the, most people who, who find success have also had periods of, of failure, of, of difficulty, of, you know, an unbelievable amount of obstacles and understanding that that is a reality, understanding, um, you know, how to, how to deal with that. I, I, I think we're all going to face those things. It's really a question of, of, of how we manage that situation, how we, how we set ourselves up to come out of those situations um, that, that separates people who ultimately go on to, to, to make, to have success from those who uh, give up or something else. So you clearly don't give up. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I'm, I, you know, and I think, you know, in times of, of, you know, hardship, we really learned who we are as people, right? Like our true character comes out, I believe, and, and you know, what, how God made us and how the world shaped us. And if there's one thing that I learned in everything that I went through, I am super resilient. <laughs> I have a ton of grit. And uh, like a like a nothing's gonna stop me attitude. And I think that that when I look back on my entire life, that was I was I had to sort of be in survival mode from the second I was born. I mean, I'm adopted. I was taken from my birth parents at a very I mean, we were babies. My twin brother and I were babies, six months old. And I'm sure you know at that point as a baby, I obviously don't remember it. I was surviving. <laughs> I was surviving. And I think that that has always stuck with me. And I think it's, it's those experiences that I probably don't even remember that shaped my ability to be a leader. I really do. And uh, so, you know, I think oftentimes we're in situations that we did not ask for. And this is certainly one of those moments where we did not ask for this. But, you know, what, what leaders are going to emerge? Who are the leaders, right? Who are the strong people that are going to emerge from this and go on and soar? And I certainly hope that I'm one of them. And I certainly hope that I can help other people become, you know, those, those types of people as well. So, and if you don't mind, and if I, and if I get too personal, you can always just, you know, tell me to shut up. So never get um, too personal with me. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. But, you know, in the, in that, in that darkest hour and that lowest of low, what, like, can you take us back? Like, what were you thinking? Where, you know, was giving up in your head? Like how, how, how did you mentally manage or did you? Right. So, and I was in a very unique situation because while I had a company that was very successful and very visible, it was also highly emotional and sensitive. I ran a wedding business. And the one thing you don't want to do is piss off a bride. <laughs> and you don't want to piss off a bride if you can't get her her merchandise. And so I knew, I knew that if I was going to implode, it was going to be highly public. And it was. And it was tragic for everybody involved, especially my customers and my employees. But the part of the story that people don't know is that there was so much work done uh, behind closed doors to soften the blow of that, of my business closing. And, and that's part of the message I'm trying to share with people right now is, you know, you've got to line your ducks up, no matter how you see your company on the other side of this, you have to lead them through it. And so my first instinct was get a business partner and get investors. You can save this company. You can absolutely save this company. Couldn't. And I had a bank loan that the bank was 
put me on a timeline, right? So I pounded the pavement looking for those. Couldn't, couldn't find a partner. Couldn't, I tried to sell. Couldn't sell. I mean, I tried everything. So when I knew that the next step was going to be, I'm going to have to turn this company over to the bank, I, I really... <laughs> I stepped out on faith truly and asked for things from people that you wouldn't normally ask for. And by the grace of God, and really, again, my will to survive and get through this, uh, I was granted a, uh, a, a, an angel investor truly came into my life and put hundreds of thousands of dollars into getting merchandise for my clients and, um, and then walked like I never, we, we we're, we're still, you know, in contact today, but no, no burden to pay them back. Um, you know, they truly the most giving people, the bank was extraordinary. And I think it's because I stayed ahead of the ball. I always was honest with the bank. And this is one of the things I share with people. Do not stick your head in the sand when you're in crisis. You need to, the people that are, that are, are part of your team, whether that's bankers or lawyers or accountants or a business advisor, they are utilize them leverage their expertise and so the bank was unbelievable uh absolutely absolutely extraordinary in um helping me transition from owning a multi-million dollar business to shutting its doors abruptly and while there were people caught in the crosshairs of that it could have been way worse way way like i probably would have had to move out of town <laughs> that bad well, I mean, your story is, is, has triggered a few things in my head, but um, actually a, a couple of weeks ago, probably I wrote a, a Medium article on, um, on crisis management, but really about crisis communication. Mm -hmm. And I think what you just pointed out about not sticking your head in the sand, um, you know, if you, if you don't get out in front of something, crises happen, disasters happen, yep. businesses have problems, it's how you communicate with your customers and with your vendors that makes all the difference. Because if you, if you blow them off, if you ignore them, if you don't give them the complete story, mm -hmm. the holes in your story will be filled. I promise you. And they'll be filled by my assumption. And, and the assumption is usually going to be the worst case assumption that could exist in whatever that situation is. Without a doubt, and you know, it was it was an inter it was interesting for me because I couldn't be fully transparent with my customers because these are brides; <laughs> they could not know at all what I was going through, and I had hoped that we were going to get through it. But I had to be fully transparent with my employees and the people that were on my business team. For me, that there was no there was no wavering on that. They were either in it with me or out of it with me. And, you know, extraordinarily, I, I had to stop paying myself two years before the company closed, but I had to stop paying my staff three and a half months before the company closed. And those women came to work every single day and worked with me. Wow. Just uh, um, talk about that because uh, because they felt indebted to you because of who you are as a leader. I mean, tell me a little bit about, uh, to the extent that you know, why they, why they kept showing up, even though you were not able to pay them. Yeah, I think part of it is, is I didn't hide anything from them. I was completely honest about what we were going through um, in terms of, of, you know, the state of the company. But I also was 
super hopeful. I shared every correspondence, every meeting, every potential investor, every potential partner with them. And I shared the vision. You know, I, I, I went through crisis in a growth period. And what was so heartbreaking was revenues were not the problem. The company continued to soar from a sales perspective. It was, it was an expense and uh, lack of capital <laughs> problem that I was trying to solve. So they saw that it wasn't that we had a great brand, we had a great name, and they saw me working my tail off. I, I, I was relentless in my pursuit to save that business. And, uh, and they saw that. And I think that's why they rose to the occasion. Wow. No, that, that's, that certainly is a, uh, is a testament. So that business winds up ceasing to exist at some point in time. But um, I, I gather that you have uh, certainly a, a bit of that entrepreneurial spirit because it sounds like you're sort of back at it in terms of a new business yeah. and doing things differently from what you learned or, 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 or how do you apply the lessons learned from, from yeah, totally different <laughs> from okay. what I learned. Uh, I will say this, I don't like to say never, but I, I'm 99.9% .9 sure I'll never go into bricks and mortar business ever again. Uh, and, and I'm okay with that. I, I think, you know, 13 years is, was enough for me. And, uh, you know, what another beautiful thing that was born of that crisis was the idea for the business that I'm building now. So um, one of the things that I like to say to people is sometimes our darkest moments inspire our brightest ideas. So you asked me like, what did I go through on a daily basis? Well, there, you know, my growth came from acquisition and I acquired uh, stores, I acquired their teams and I acquired their inventory. And so when I was at the height of my financial crisis, I had about $250,000 of inventory that I could not sell. It was all discontinued or stagnant or just the customers never came and picked it up. And I was like, okay, this could certainly help. I mean, it wouldn't solve the problem, but gosh, if I could find a way to create a vehicle to sell this merchandise to a much broader audience without increasing overhead, this would be a solution. And I came up with the idea for a marketplace. Uh, and at the time it was, uh, it was uh, branded under my company brand, House of Maya. And it was, the idea was Etsy meets Poshmark, but specifically for the wedding community. And uh, in trying to save my retail business, I actually raised uh, almost $200,000 to launch this marketplace. And we had a live marketplace. We were uploading product. I had buy-in from, from wedding retailers and designers all across the country. It was one of those light bulb moments. I was like, I know I'm not the only one suffocating with inventory. I know it's a huge problem in this industry. And I also know couples go broke paying for their weddings. So can I create the solution? And uh, unfortunately, when the bricks and mortar went up in flames, so did the online business. And so I've really spent the past two years fine-tuning that concept. I obviously had to rebrand it and rename it because the bricks and mortar business no longer exists. It's now eWedded is the name of, of the company. And uh, I'm in the very early stages, I actually launched a crowdfunding campaign um, about a month ago, which is wrapping up. It, it didn't warrant what I wanted it to, but it had certainly opened other 
other doors and other opportunities to get this marketplace out there to the public. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Timing really is everything because the relevance of eWedded is so much greater today than it was when I first thought of it four years. And the idea came to me in 2016. So it actually, the idea came four years ago. And, and if it existed, it would be such a great tool right now for bridal shops whose foot traffic is, has virtually been cut in half, if not more. And there's over a million weddings that will either be canceled or postponed in this country alone because of this pandemic. And, and I've spoken to many brides who are not gonna be able to wear the gown that they bought, who have, have decor that they're not gonna be able to use because they're just gonna go to you know, this, this uh, you know, um, probably the justice of the peace or the courthouse if it ever opens back up again. So um, you know, eWedded really could be a solution for them today. So I'm, I'm working when I'm not doing podcast interviews uh, and, and, and um, making sure my kids are doing their homework, I am diligently working on getting this marketplace build and bring it to um to the wedding community and so and you think okay so online is a place where where this business where where perhaps wedding businesses need to need to spend more time mm-hmm. um do you feel that because i think this this ties into this this situation at the moment you know uh if you look at at successful online businesses and certainly you know Amazon comes to mind, right? The one problem that they have, that I think that they have been routinely trying to get over is that sense of instant gratification. Right. That, right, the, the, the thing that still keeps some brick, bricks and mortar or more bricks and mortar around than otherwise is the fact that you can go in, you can touch yeah. it, you can feel it, you can walk out, the, depending on what it is, you can walk out the store with it. Right, that's right. Mm-hmm. So how so how does that transform into maybe that's different for weddings? I'm, I'm I I cannot say so, I know very much about the wedding industry at all. <laughs> Come on now, no. sorry. <laughs> you know, listen, I think great business. If you have a great business model and a great product, and you offer incredible service, your bricks and mortar company is probably going to be spared by what happens online. Okay, and my the 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 marketplace I'm creating is a resale marketplace. So these are these are dresses that you can't find that are current in a, in a bricks and mortar retailer or that are being resold back and forth from bride to bride or you know, even groom to groom. It's, it's, not just, it's, it's not just clothing. It's every, every, every product you would buy for the wedding. Mine is also specifically couture and high-end designers. I'm not trying to be everything to everybody. My background is in luxury goods and that's what I am continuing to bring to the online market. I, there's always going to be the woman that wants to go into the bridal shop wants to try on the dress with her, you know, group of gals and and her mom and whoever, and, you know, wants to get up on the pedestal and twirl around in the white dress. I mean, that's, that's never going to ever go away. Uh, And that's not the problem I'm trying to solve, right? I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to, to help small retailers stay in business by giving them a vehicle to offload their discontinued and stagnant merchandise because wedding products are extremely, extremely expensive. And just from a fashion perspective, the waste in fashion, we, we throw 26 billion pounds of textile into the global landfill every single year. 
and the wedding industry is part of that problem. <laughs> so, you know, again, this is this is a solution for small businesses. It's a solution for for budget and eco-conscious couples, and it's a solution to um, you know being more eco-conscious and saving our planet. No, that's that 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 now that gets my attention, right? That's um, uh, the idea of of reusing or preventing um, the the destruction of or the, or the discarding of of things. I think um, we are. I think we were slowly approaching it, and I think that that has over the last few years really ramped up. Oh yeah. You know, there's there's more um, attention being paid to uh, yeah to 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 our global waste, let's say. The resale business, the resale industry has more than doubled in the last decade. It's a six hundred billion dollar a year industry. And I, I think it's gonna be a trillion dollar industry. I really do. Um, you know, we are just the consumption that we indulge in <laughs> and um, particularly with weddings. I mean, you wear a gown once, you use your table linens once, you use your chair covers once, you have gifts that and favors that people don't even take. They probably sitting in your closet or your, your garage, right? So it's, it's, I think with the wedding industry, it's even more amplified because this, these are literally Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of product used for one moment in time. Yeah, <laughs> good. That's a, a good good point. Right. The average wedding in this country is thirty four thousand dollars a year. You know your you know your your stats. So uh, so this provides a so, and what about that? That do you think that people's and I, I don't know why they save them, but let's say you know, people have their wedding and then they save their wedding dress. And I guess the argument is sometimes they're going to hand it down to their daughter or something, mm -hmm. right? But I don't know how much, you probably know much better than I do, how much that is realistic, you know, if in X amount of years, you know, somebody's child, you know, wants to wear the same wedding dress that their mom wore, or if that's just like wishful thinking or some sense of nostalgia that, in fact, is no longer really applicable in this day and age. I think it happens less than 5% of the time. Uh, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it happen. And it's really beautiful when it does. Ha I actually just read an article the other day about a, a woman who just got married who wore her great-grandmother's gown. I mean, like five women have worn this gown. All this, never, it never even needed to be altered. I'm like, that's an anomaly. Like, that doesn't happen. Uh, and then when I had my stores, we did a lot of repurposing. We would take the mother's gown and basically deconstruct it and redesign it to make it more present day and that's a great opportunity to be able to do that but again we're talking a very small um percentage of of women who are going to wear their mother's or grandmother's wedding gown and i think for most women who preserve their gown thinking their daughter is going to wear it it's just kind of pie in the sky thinking it's it's pro it's most likely not going to happen she's she might wear your veil <laughs> but she's gonna wear your gown <laughs> Okay, so you so um, everything you're describing to me and taking it out of the wedding context for a moment is you know you are creating that the, there's a need you've identified there's an opportunity you've identified but you're also um, really creating a disruptive moment in in a pretty traditional industry. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So. So now how do you, how do you get out there and, and and how do you how do you sell a disruptive 
moment? How do you, how, it doesn't have to do, it has nothing to do with, with, with weddings now, it's, or, or unless it does, but, you know, to me, you know, you're, you're saying, okay, this is the way it's always been, or it's been for as long as anyone alive can remember. Um, but I'm going to, but you're going to create this whole, this whole new market and this whole new way of, of looking at this. So how do you sell you it? Back it up. So yeah, you said you know your stats. So you got to back it up a few ways. You have to back it up with with numbers, right? You have to know the industry that you're trying to disrupt. Otherwise, I mean, it's probably not going to happen, and you're going to sound like an idiot. So you have to know, and then you've got to get people um, that that are saying the same thing. Industry people that are saying the same thing. When I came up with my idea, I actually rolled it out at New York Fashion Week um, in 2016, and and I had salespeople and designers and retailers saying, yes, this is a huge problem. So you need other people outside of you saying the same exact thing, particularly if you're looking for investors, uh, you know, or you're going to write a business plan and get a loan from a bank. They're going to want to know that it's more than your word, <laughs> right? Like, oh, I'm just going to make this up because I think it needs to happen. Well, there's a difference between thinking something is a solution and actually it actually is a solution to a problem. Uh, so you've got to, you got to know your, you got to know your stuff and you've got to get people that are going to back it up for you. And, and um, that's, that's what, so that's the stage that you're at right now, basically. Yeah. And I, you know, I know it so intimately because it's been the stage I've been at for, you know, I, I had to hit the pause button. So I had two years of development and then, you know, kind of an off time to recuperate and now I'm rebranding. So, uh, and I guess another piece of advice I would give to people that are creating sort of a disruptive business or, or solution, this is a great opportunity to fine tune your pitch. What is the message that you're trying to convey? You know, is it, is it believable? Can you, can you, I mean, now we're all at home, stand in front of your mirror and say it over and over again. I record myself on a daily basis and I've changed my, my messaging and the script many times because the more I think about it and the more research I do, the more I fine tune what I really want this marketplace to look like. That's, that's an interesting idea to, to hear yourself, to go back and listen to yourself and, um, and realize, you know, what, what it sounds like. And, yeah. you know, if you're able to take yourself away from your level of knowledge to hear yourself with, with, um, with new ears, right. do you try it out on people? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I just spoke at One Million Cups. I don't know if you're familiar with One, one Million Cups. I, I love finding opportunities to speak to total strangers because they're going to poke holes into it. You know what I mean? They're going to either. And, and these people were fab. The room of people that I spoke to were amazing. And I left super hopeful. I mean, there wasn't one person that was like, maybe you should go back to, you know, serving coffee in a coffee shop. They were all like, great. And they actually, in that moment, helped me really get more laser focused on the type of marketplace I wanted it to be. It was actually a woman in the audience. We, I knew her. She was the woman that introduced me was also in the wedding industry for many years. And now she's a professor at ODU. And she was the one that said, Maya, you have a great background in luxury goods. Why don't you just make this a luxury marketplace? Like that, that way you're making yourself even more unique, even more different. And these are the people that really struggle with the excess inventory because that product is so expensive. Those materials are so expensive and it's heart wrenching to have to, you know, throw away or burn, you know, hundred percent silk and gorgeous laces. So uh, it was a, a wonderful exercise, wonderful opportunity. And I left even more inspired than I was before I went in. So, so I, I'm all, 
all about just getting in front of people. I mean, people say to me all the time, how can I help you? I'm like, get me in front of people that you think would find interest in this um, opportunity and I will pitch them. So tell us about, um, about One Million Cups. And we, you know, the one thing about this show is there are detailed show notes that go along with each episode. So okay. everything you talk about, there will be a link and it will be described, but go ahead and tell, because I'm sure that lots of people are going, what's One Million Cups? And, <laughs> and unless they're driving, maybe they're going to stop down and look this up, but, but why don't you go ahead and talk about it? So my understanding is that it is actually a nationwide uh, organization. It might even be international. I'm not 100% sure. But it really is a peer-to-peer, like business peer-to-peer organization. It's a bit networking and a bit innovation. But essentially what happens is they meet weekly. And you anyone can go to a One Million Cups uh, meeting and just listen to the company that's pitching. But the idea is that you're going to contribute as well, right? You're going to ask the person that's pitching questions about their, their business. Like, what are their blind spots? And their pitch, did they did they really hammer home, you know, what it is that they're trying to do? So it's I wouldn't call it a pitch competition because you're not getting anything from it other than really great questions and advice from people. But the the room is comprised of business owners, business executives, and entrepreneurs. And every week, uh, an emerging or early stage startup business comes in and pitches their idea to the audience. And then you are you are agreeing to opening up to questions and having people really hammer you <laughs> with um, ways to make the business better. Did anyone stump you with a question? No. Well, that's good. Did, did you? Stump, but they did get me thinking about the model, thinking about the, the, the brand, the image that I wanted to convey. Uh, and, and they put, um, uh, a thought in my head to get this to market quicker, to truly, truly, truly bootstrap it and maybe just create like a temporary marketplace through either Shopify or WooCommerce. And then, you know, once I get some transactions, then going sort of for the big fish. And now that I have all of this time on my hands, I actually think that's the way that I'm going to approach it. So by participating in this, you actually made some, some changes to your, to your plan of action. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I made some great contacts. I'm now uh, connected with many of these people on LinkedIn. Uh, many of them have checked in on me. A handful of them shared my crowdfunding campaign. It's a great, it's a, it, again, if you're, if you just love business or you're looking to start your business, I highly recommend. They meet in Virginia Beach at, um, I think it's the building where Stri- Southern, South, Southern University is uh, off of um, Independence. Oh, again, I'll, links to all of this will be in the show notes, but um, you've, you mentioned this um, uh, crowdfunding. So tell, tell me about your experience with that. You sat, suggested like it didn't go the way you wanted it to, or you expected it to. You never, you know, I, I said to people, raising money, no matter how you do it is hard. And some avenues are better for some types of business than other types of businesses. And so I did, I launched a crowdfunding campaign, which is still, it, it doesn't end until the end of March. Um, so if it airs before then, then please. If anyone wants uh, yeah, this probably, you, this unfortunately will, will come out uh, probably in April. It may fall into May, so you'll miss that window. Okay. But um, sorry. They but. can follow the they can follow the the uh, the um all the updates on my on my website. But I so I chose a platform. It's a brand new crowdfunding platform. I know when I say brand new, I think it's about two years old. They they were in beta for 
feel like 18 months and now they've you know they're 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 alpha and have fully launched across the the country uh it's a ifundwomen.com so if there's any female business owners or entrepreneurs um, listening it's a, it's it's a, a crowdfunding platform that was founded by a woman and it is for female founded companies all different types of companies it doesn't have to be technology it can be a, you're writing a book it can be that you are you know starting a nonprofit whatever it is and um, so it's not very well known and it's not like the engine like a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo so I think that that was a bit of a challenge, but there wasn't a whole lot of exposure and marketing that was going to be driven by them. I, I was really the one forced to do it all. And my product is not a physical product. It's a marketplace. So there's nothing tangible that people can, there's no prototype for people to get excited about. Um, and I knew that going in, I knew that, you know, software companies and marketplaces and, you know, any, any companies that don't have a physical product oftentimes have a hard time getting to, to their goal because they're not giving, the reward doesn't include something physical. Um, but it was from an exposure standpoint and introducing the concept to the world, hugely beneficial. And that's how I got my, my um, invitation to speak at One Million Cups. It's how I've made some new connections. And even Pattaya, I have a couple people that are, are um, considering investing traditionally. So I, I would say if somebody's thinking of raising capital and they don't know how to do it, it doesn't hurt to start there. Um, but it, it took me about three months to, to, to put my campaign together and, and get it out there. It's a lot of work. And then once you launch it, I mean, asking people for money is a full-time job. Uh, so, so we'll see. And I did it rewards-based. I think I probably would have had more success if I had used a crowdfunding platform for equity. And I, I'm considering actually, I'm looking into that, but I don't think it'll be something I do immediately. I'm, I think I'm really going to focus on, um, you know, just starting with a very simple marketplace and going from there. And you picked this one over, uh, over say ones that have bigger names, like you said, like Indiegogo or, or, um, you know, because it was, it was a women based one and you had a, it was a reason you felt to support it or tell me what went through your head to why you picked it. <laughs> uh, it's, Interesting. Twofold answer. I, three years ago, tried to roll out the same company under my branded retail business, House of Maya. We called the marketplace House of Maya Online. I tried to roll a Kickstarter, a crowdfunding campaign out through Kickstarter. Yep. And Kickstarter denied my application because we didn't have a physical product. Ah, okay. So that, then I'm like, you might want to put that out there before people spend months putting a campaign together. So in, at that point, I found women didn't even exist. So this time around, yes, I felt it very important to support a female founded business that was in the business of supporting female founders, because, you know, the statistics are not in our favor in terms of getting capital. Uh, we get 2% of all VC capital that gets distributed in any given year. And so I, I really felt, um, you know, compelled to support the platform. And again, even though it didn't warrant the results for me, I love their mission. I love what they're doing. And I pretty much every woman I know that's trying to raise money, I'm like, go to ifundwomen.com. That's, that's, that's good. That's, that's good of you to, to, to you know, kind of cross support. Um, what do you think? I was thinking about, you know, you going out there, you don't have a marketplace yet, but you're, you know, you're obviously talking about it, you're building it, you're, you're telling the world about it. Mm -hmm. um, and 
and I think all that's really great. Uh, I also know that a lot of people, I'm not among them, um, say, oh, if you have an idea, you can't talk about it until it's fully built out, until you launch, because you, you, know, you don't want someone stealing your idea. And so um, I, I personally, and I can talk about why I, I don't agree with that, but I'm curious if you have felt that either, you know, in, as you've gone through this, this, uh, um, this building of this, of this idea into a reality, or if it's been of a concern to you. No, I'm not concerned at all. Uh, the reality is you're always going to have competition. Okay. And my philosophy is you don't have to be first to market. You just have to be best <laughs> and you have to have something super unique. Like what are some things, what are some proprietary things that only you have, right? So it, 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 it um, warrants a bit of innovation and creativity and bringing the right group of people together. And, and frankly, people have, ideas every day. Who's really going to put the work in to see it through? Getting a marketplace out into the world is no easy task, just like getting any business out into the world is no easy task. I'm sure I'm not the first person that thought of a marketplace for the wedding industry, but I'm probably the only one that's not going to give up. No, and, that's, I, I, and I love that. And I, uh, that's actually, I think, where, how I look at it. You know, if, for all of the ideas I have, I'm not going to execute on them. They're just ideas. And so I am very happy to give away ideas every day because if someone else will go and do that thing, if I thought about it, it's probably something I want to utilize. So I'll be a customer, right? Right. Mm -hmm. that's and, exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's, people are so afraid of sharing their ideas. And I do think that there's maybe some generational shifts with that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm hoping that's the case that, that, um, you know, generations uh, that are, you know, like the millennials or even the Zs um, won't have those same hangups that sort of Xers and baby boomers, you know, yes. still have about, you know, you can't share the idea. <laughs> well, I also think their mental mentality um, is they're way more collaborative <laughs> and community over competition mentality than we are. And I think they have had to sort of be forced. I mean, they're all they're they're being raised in and you know the world that is just brimming over with all of these different technologies and all of these different ways to communicate and to do business. You know, many of them are used to being remote workers, right, and not actually going into an office. They're how they have been. Um, you know, brought up and how they've been introduced into the, the professional arena is completely different than how you and I were introduced into, you know, our professional um, life. And I, I'm very hopeful that they'll be more open with their ideas. Because here's the thing, when you close yourself off and you hold it in, you don't know who can help you. <laughs> you don't know who, who you might be able to partner with. Right? Is there like a great collaborative opportunity on the horizon that you're gonna, you know, um, lose out on because you're so worried that somebody's gonna steal your idea? No, I think that that's exactly right. And and how do you know where the opportunity may lay? Right. Um, I had a conversation just this morning actually with someone who was, I think I think it's because of all this. I know it's because of what's going on right now uh, with the uh, COVID nineteen, but was lamenting. Uh, and was and was nostalgic about a time, you know, say 30 years ago, uh, you know, they were talking about the sort of like the 70s and the 80s and how much more calm everything was in, in what they were explaining. 
and that they wished that we were, you know, that sort of like post 9-11, especially that the world is too chaotic and is too crazy and is, and is the worst time to live. And I said, I so fundamentally disagree with that statement um, that, uh, you know, we're coming from two opposite ends of the spectrum. I said, first of all, you know, your, your, your memories of the 70s and 80s are only, you know, memories of being a child uh, are always going to be different than memories as an adult when you have more obligations and, and, and more things uh, competing in your life than when you're a kid. So you can always think back about your childhood and, and have more positive thoughts around it. But secondly, I, you know, I, and, I, and I rail against some aspects of technology that it makes us more isolated, that we spend, that, we, that our, our quality of conversations has decreased, and I want to bring those aspects back or make those things a reality. At the same time, think about how much easier it is to launch a business today. Think about you know, how much easier it is to, to you know, you and I um, are talking over this. We happen to probably only be a few miles apart, but you know, we could be half a world apart and still having this conversation right now without any difficulty whatsoever. That's exactly right. Yeah, and again, I think it's a double-edged sword, right? Technology to me is like, we all have a love-hate relationship with it, but there's so many aspects to it that have, you know, enabled, um, you know, continued commerce and innovation, you know, explosion of opportunity. I mean, entrepreneurship is skyrocketing because you literally can start a business with just a computer in your, in your house. And, you know, how is that a bad thing? No, right? you, and I think we're going to start to see the beauty of what really technology offers because we, we now um, can't be face-to-face -face with people, right? The way that we traditionally operate and traditionally do business has virtually been thrown out the window. <laughs> so um, last night I had a virtual cocktail party with my like five closest girlfriends. <laughs> it was actually, I was like, we might not ever see each other face-to-face -face ever again. This was so much fun. <laughs> So you find ways to adapt and you, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta find ways to see the beauty in it all. It also says to me that when we do get the opportunity to spend time together again, um, you know, face to face and it, it, you know, uh, it's going to be more special. It's going to be more important. Um, what I hope is that some of the things that, that I do rail against, like, you know, the, the convention or the conference where you're, where the where all you're hearing is a sales pitch, and you're probably in the back of the room with your face buried in your in your uh, you know smartphone, mm -hmm. or um, and you know networking events, which I just hate the term even, yes. um, because you know and all that is is a business card dance, right? Like, yeah. what do you do? Can 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 I sell to you or or you know what have you? And if not, move on. And people right. looking over your shoulder. I don't you know that's that's not real. I, I don't want to do business like that. And I don't want to even know people like that. I really want this. I want to get to understand what makes them tick, what, you know, both what their fears are, what their, what, you know, what things they've gone through and, and, and how they've come out the other side. Yeah, absolutely. And, well, you know, it's interesting because you, you talk about networking and, you know, in, in between owning my business and starting this new one, I actually was a CEO of a, of a networking startup. And I think one of the biggest misperceptions about networking is, is people think it's a very selfish, and it is, I think traditionally how people approach networking is very selfish, but really true beneficial networking is 
is about being selfless. It's about how can you be of service to somebody? How can you give to somebody? So those of us that are natural givers that are going to build their business and their opportunities um, based on giving to others are the ones that are going to come through this the strongest because we're, we, don't, we don't think selfishly. And, and I agree with you. I think some of those conferences where it's just sales pitch after sales pitch after sales pitch and the people, you know, just shoveling business cards in your face, I think that's going to fall to the wayside completely after this. I yeah, really we can do. hope so. Yeah. Because I think that's, that's, that's where you have the opportunity to, to build um, stronger relationships. That's right. That's right. And I think that that's, that's, that's got to be something that we, you know, that we have to hope for. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, again, I think right now for everybody, our time is so valuable because our lives have been turned upside down and we, we have to manage business and personal all in our homes in isolation. <laughs> so we don't, we don't have time to be around the people that are constantly taking, right? We want to surround ourselves with people that are willing to give, that are willing to lift each other up, that are willing to offer support some sort of service or product or whatever it is in this in this time of need that's going to push us all forward so you know the the, the ones that are all about themselves i they're not going to make it through this no no not at all i I'm, i also think that um and i'll ask you uh if things outside of your business world like what you do but i've told my children Okay, you're you're getting you know learning from home now. You're not able to spend time with your friends, and that's very hard for teenagers for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've said, okay. So in addition to schoolwork, I want you to pick a single skill that you want to learn during this period of time. You know, you could learn to play guitar. Mm -hmm. You could learn uh, photography. Um, pick a skill, and we'll find an online course or something for you to do. Yeah. And I'm going to do one too. So I said we should we we need to use these opportunities to better ourselves too and then the you know the the because at some point life will return to normal mm -hmm. and it, you'll you'll be better for it having done that right that's so right i was going to ask you do you have is there is there a secret skill or talent that you have that people don't know about with you a secret skill or talent mm, that people do not know about me yeah it's like it's like that question from um from the breakfast club I know. But what's the thing that do you remember that? No. You don't well, remember that's that? Horrible scene? memory. <laughs> okay, so so that's the scene. And I only know this because I just watched uh, Breakfast Club with my children. So in fairness, it's not like I'm a <laughs> Breakfast Club junkie or something. But it's but it did come back to me. It's the it's the scene where um, Molly Ringwald applies lipstick to her lips by placing her 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 lipstick um, oh. in her cleavage. Yes. <laughs> and that was her secret skill. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have any secret skills. And really with me, nothing is a secret. I'm sort of out there uh, boldly all the time. Uh, and I'm, I, I wouldn't even be that coordinated to do what Molly Ringwald did. <laughs> well, I didn't mean that. I just meant in general. <laughs> but what do you, um, so, how, so let's talk about it that way. How do you, if you live so in the open, does that worry you? You're, well, obviously not. How do you feel about living that, that, that open and transparent? Because I don't think that's, I don't think that's the norm. Yeah, I don't think it is the norm either. And you know, I I think there are times where it is it is a, it is an asset, and I think at times it's been a detriment because I have been burned by people before. You know, there's always people that are going to want to ride your coattails or have you know um, ill intentions. And when you are totally open like I am, then uh, that sometimes comes back 
to bite you. You know, I'm very trusting and I always give people the benefit of the doubt. And, but I, as I get older, I do realize that. And I think that my instincts have kicked in. They, they, they've gotten, the instincts have gotten stronger as I've gotten older, but I will say this. I, about a month ago, received a message through Facebook from a woman that had been following me. And we were, I would say we were acquaintances. Um, our, our kids were in an organization together who had followed my very open entrepreneurial journey. Because um, I, I wrote a blog after I lost my business. I mean, I, was, I put it out there to the world, what I was going through. And for me, it was just really cathartic. I needed to do that. And she said, I think I'm going through what you're going through. Do you have time to talk? And I said, I, sure, tomorrow at 9 a.m. Does that work for you? She's like, no, you don't understand. I was on the phone last night with the uh, suicide prevention hotline. And I was like, oh my goodness, let me, I'm gonna call you right now. What is your phone number? I took that woman from the floor of truly suicidal thoughts to believing in herself again, to having a uh, you know a plan of who she was going to contact, how she was going to you know get put one foot in front of the other, and turn things around for her in her business. And now we stay in contact with each other all the time. So you know if if I can, if my story, if what I have gone through, both personally and professionally, because I have a unique personal journey as well, can help one human being that feels like they are at the end of their rope turn it around, then I'll, I'll live like this for the rest of my life. No, oh, that's wonderful. Is there one, is there, is there a coping mechanism or uh, something that you, that you employ that either you, you gave to this woman as idea or that you would uh, employ yourself when you're feeling sort of down? Mm -hmm. Well, first I just listened. I mean, that was the, and I think listening is hard for a lot of people. And for me, I really have to be very conscious about it because I'm a natural talker. But in this moment, I knew I just had to listen. And I did for the first hour. And then after that, I said, this is what has worked for me. And I know that you're in it and you can't see it right now, but this is what I recommend. And if you need help getting it done, I will help you. And we just crafted a plan. But you know, what allows me to, to be able to do that is I do take time for myself. Uh, you know, I'd like to say that I'm high maintenance, but I maintain myself. <laughs> you know, I, I, I work out, I eat well, uh, you know, I do a lot of yoga. I, I am a pseudo meditative person. <laughs> I, I try to meditate, although I wouldn't, some people say, even if you can do it for five minutes, it's successful. Um, but, you know, I think I just, you know, I surround myself with really positive, great people and, 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 and they inspire me, you know, my kids inspire me and you know, my husband inspires me. Like, I just, I love being around great energy and that allows me to continue to, to put that energy forward. But self first, you've got to preserve yourself because you can't be good for other people unless you take care of yourself. Gotcha. You maybe think of when you just talked about this this pseudo meditation. Um, <laughs> it immediately came to mind. Do you know who Dan Harris is? Have you oh. read his books? Yes, I've read his book. I love him. Because <laughs> that's yeah. what he talks about, right? Is that you know even if you can only do it for thirty seconds. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. Which is and I have that. I've done it. I've done it. I've had a couple of times where I didn't do it for a long time, but when I came out of it. 
it was like how I even viewed the room I was in was different. So, you know, I, I am committed to trying to do it for a longer period of time because I think he does it for a half an hour every morning before he even starts his day. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just hope to get to that point. But, you know, meditation is like yoga. It's one of those things where you don't fail at it. You just get better with each passing time. There is no A, B, or Z or F, you know, you just got to keep committing to going back. I love that. That's, that's, that's true. You know, you just get better. There's no, there's no failing at it. That's, that's a good, that's good advice. So Maya, uh, how can people find you? How can people learn more about your story? Yeah. So uh, the website for, and I have all of what I'm doing on that website now, because I, I also have a podcast. It is the extension of a book that I have coming out um, titled Happily Altered After, which is really just a great narrative for brides-to-be on how to have the best shopping experience um, as they're trying to score their dream gown. But the podcast is I interview people in the industry and we talk about you know best practices for couples. Uh, so all of that and my marketplace can be found at eWedded, that's E-W-E-D-D-E-D dot com. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook. It's just Maya Holohan on, on LinkedIn and Facebook. And I have a, a, a Facebook page for Happily Altered After, and it's just Happily Altered After. And Instagram, Happily Altered After. And Happily Altered Okay. And, and when is the book coming out? I'm hoping three months from now. So we're, we're, we're just at the final stages of editing, and I will push it on to design after that. And it should be a relatively easy book to design. I mean, it's not, you know, anything uh, extraordinary. And um, after that, we'll get it out. I'm sure that anything you do will be extraordinary. Well, thank you so much. So thanks so much for uh, taking the time today to, uh, to, to, uh, to talk and to tell us your story. Absolutely. It was a pleasure being here with you today. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Maya Holohan and learned a lot about her brand of entrepreneurship. She certainly has a story that is worth paying attention to as a lesson for us all. As always, Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe wherever you get podcasts.